This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind. This is a podcast all about perinatal mental health and wellness, related to conception, pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. But more than that, we aim to deepen our truths, shed light on real issues, speak about our pain, feel understood, and offer a path to healing. We raise the volume on these topics in hopes that someday everyone will have the support and information that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Today's episode is another soapbox edition. It's where I let loose a little bit and go off a little bit on the things that I see coming up around us that are, to say the least, upsetting about things related to perinatal mental health. I try and keep myself a little bit buttoned up in the other episodes, um, but frankly, there are quite a few things that get under my skin and um, that I think get under everybody's skin about related to lots of stuff. So I'm going to skip around a little bit today and just kind of tell you a little bit about what's on my mind and then maybe even add in a couple of good things that are happening. So I get a little angry. I get angry when I hear for the 15 millionth time that a mother feels like a failure for not being a good enough mother or thinking that she's not a good enough mother. And the reasons vary why a woman might be feeling this way. It could be just not just because she's tired, because she's exhausted and feels like she can't do everything that she wants or needs to do. It can be that she's angry and she doesn't know why. And so that makes her feel bad. Another reason I hear that moms feel like a failure or that they're not good enough is because they can't breastfeed or they don't want to breastfeed and the pressure to breastfeed is super duper high. And I'm not saying don't breastfeed. I'm just saying the pressure is really high for women to breastfeed and if they can't or don't want to, they often get shamed and that is part of my soapbox today too, but I'll come back to that. Some mamas feel like a failure because they don't know what they're doing. They have this brand new job. They don't know how to do it. And instead of feeling like, hey, it would be really cool to have some help to figure out how to do this new job, they end up just feeling like, oh my gosh, it's just me. I don't know what I'm doing. This isn't the first time I've talked about it, but it, it's, it really does bother me. 
that all of that pressure goes back on to the mom. I hear that moms feel like failures because they don't want to hold their child all the time. And then on the flip side, I hear that moms feel like failures because they can't leave their child at all. They don't want to leave their side for a minute and feel too anxious to let anybody else be with them. In relation to that, I also hear that moms feel bad for not being able to leave the house. And then some moms feel bad because they can't stay in the house. Some moms feel horrible because they feel like they have to do everything. And then other moms feel horrible because they're not doing enough. So what gives? How, how is anybody supposed to feel okay in any of this? Um, and I think, you know, there, there are a lot of reasons why the burden of this feeling and responsibility comes back onto moms because, frankly, we don't do a very good job of supporting mothers. We don't do a very good job of supporting fathers. We don't do a very good job of supporting families. It is not yet permeated into our cultural context that new families need support. It's not automatic that they get the support that they need. And certainly, if you have money, then you can buy support. But if you don't have money, then what are you going to do? Um, ideally, you could rely on family. But if family's not around, which I see a lot, like you know, people who have had to move away for work or jobs or something like that, they don't have anyone around. Or there's conflict in the family and their parents or people who they would like to rely on are toxic for them. And so they can't rely on them. So part of my soapboxiness is that we still have a long way to go on creating an environment that is supportive for for new families. And again, you know, I've said before, there are quite a few organizations and people doing a good job and doing a lot of work to get the support to families. But our, our failings as a culture, as a society, are super clear to me that we're not all doing this. It's not, it's, it's not woven into the fabric of what we do. Um, in other countries, it's so woven into the fabric that it's not even, you don't even think about it. It's just part of what you do to support a mom or a family Um, But here, we have to put some effort into it. We have to really think about it. So I don't have all of the answers on how to fix this. And I don't think any one of us has any one answer that will fix it. This is a collective issue that we're all working on solving. And I think one way to work towards that is talking about it and having calls to action and giving people ideas on how they can support families like we tried to do on this podcast and If you are somebody who has a resource that is supportive to families and that is accessible to low-income families, that is accessible to gender-diverse families, that is accessible to people of color, then that's great. That's, That's part of the solution. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras' ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. 
When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. We, and, you know, talking about it, spreading the word any way that you can about those resources is very awesome. But that's one aspect of it. Another aspect is how we talk to each other. Maybe we've talked a bit on the podcast about the mom shaming that happens. And, and some of this is tied into what I was saying before, uh, specifically with like breastfeeding um, or, uh, you know, that moms who don't or can't breastfeed are shamed. We'll have a whole episode on that. But th- there's a way that we talk to women and talk to mothers. They're in this really complex transition, whether it's your first child, second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever, your life is changing. There's no doubt about that. Something is is changing and sometimes in a very significant way um, and in ways that we can't see looking in from the outside. We have no clue Uh, what's going on with a new mom and all of the factors that are impacting her. But we make really shorthand judgments and assume that they should be doing X, Y, or Z, and then feel free to tell them about it, uh, what we think they should be doing and how dare you not be doing this and you should do that. I mean, for me, I don't, I don't like people telling me what to do. I appreciate support and I appreciate suggestions and I appreciate problem solving, but I certainly don't like somebody coming in and telling me that I'm doing something wrong when whoever's talking to me doesn't have the full context of my everything. But we do that to other moms all the time. And and sometimes our best support is taken out of context. You know, we are, we are not all perfect in the kind of support that we offer and in the way that we offer it. Uh, but I, I think there are ways to be sensitive about it. Uh, the kind of shaming that I hear of a lot often comes from inside the family too, um, it's not just social media that is saying you should do this or you should do that, but it's oftentimes just right there in the family, uh, family members who have a really specific idea about what should be done or how it should be done. Often I hear, well, this is how I did it, so it should be fine for you, or this is how I did it, so that's what you should do too. If you don't do it my way, and the implication is that your child is going to suffer or they're not going to do well. And then the burden is on the mom to either sit there and listen until somebody's done talking at them 
or to try and set a boundary with that person or those people, if she even has the energy to do that, or to have to navigate, you know, how to talk to people. I can't even, there's so many sessions that I have with moms where we are just trying to figure out how to communicate with somebody who doesn't get it, trying to communicate with somebody who is telling them what they should do and takes offense when the the mom or new mom has a different idea about they want their life to look like with their new child. And it ends up being that there's just this a whole other workload on the mom who is navigating all of this stuff to have to then try and navigate this other relationship to and and most moms are trying to keep the peace on some level and that's just so much work. So, I get so boxy about kind of what I see as insensitive or unintentionally insensitive folks who feel like they're coming in with, you know, their best knowledge and trying to, I don't know if they think they're trying to help or not, who knows, but what ultimately is not help. It's just one other thing for moms to do. What I really want to say to all moms, your situation is unique to you. Um, how you are trying to navigate through having a child or two or 12, however many, you're going to hear a lot of stuff from a lot of people who, who think they can tell you what's right for you. And it may or may not feel like you're failing because of all of this other information you're getting from the outside. I want you to know that you are not a failure. There are, I don't even know how many books out there on how to feed your child, how to help them to sleep, how to, how many times you should bathe them, how they should be held, uh, what kind of carriers to use. And yeah, those are all things to look into. But my view is ultimately that if you're reading a book or looking for information online on how to do X, Y, or Z as a mom or with your child, and you're finding that that is just not working for you, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. Ultimately, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work. This is a trial and error situation on to the next. I really see a lot of people trying to push themselves into that I'm supposed to be doing this, so I'm going to do this without really being able, um, without really having the support to reflect on if that's actually working for them, if that's actually something that fits into their lifestyle and ends up you know, being another way that moms feel stressed out. I really think this is all stuff and pretty much everything on the podcast is stuff that we really need to pay attention to you Add this sort of utopian magical idea that if we could figure out and really get to the heart of how to treat mothers, not just how we talk to them, but medically, um, emotionally, uh, in all aspects of, of their care, like, um, understanding and treating maternal mental health and perinatal mental health and health issues in general with the right kind of support, we could lessen the impact of bad stuff on generations to come. So stay with me here for just a moment. So we know that the egg that is half of you, half of your genetics that made you up was grown inside your mother when she was in your grandmother's belly. We are born with all of the eggs that we're going to have. That's, let's just trip out on that for a moment. That's pretty amazing, right? You were in your mom, in your grandmother. Amazing. Or your egg, so to speak. And then another thing that we understand, that we're starting to understand is this concept of epigenetics that are the changes that happen to our genetics 
uh, how our genetics are expressed based on different things that we go through. So we know that there is this thing called transgenerational transmission of trauma. And this is very clear in populations who have gone through the Holocaust. The genetics of people, of the grandchildren born from people who survived the Holocaust or who went through the Holocaust, the evidence of stress basically is is in their genetics. We can kind of expand that to multiple cultures, multiple situations where people were under severe levels of stress. So with all of the things that happened to, to people throughout their lives, especially people who grew up in highly stressful environments or experienced something that's incredibly stressful or traumatic in their life, if we could kind of take out the factor of how they are treated during pregnancy, that their mental health is taken care of, that their physical health is taken care of, that they have this safe space. Again, this is my fantasy, that they have this safe space where they're getting all of the care that they need and we are taking away um, stress that's preventable. Some, some stress you can't control for, but if there are things that you can control for by using preventative type of measures, namely support, resources, whether that be financial or mental health or physical or, I mean, that could be food. That could be anything like that. If we could support this period of time, this perinatal period of time, and reduce the amount of stress on the mother who is pregnant, then we can reduce the amount of stress and potential changes in genetic expression for their child and their grandchild. So it's kind of a big, big concept, but in my in my mind, in this like universe that I've created, uh, in my mind that we are taking care of people in the best way possible, in the way that they need, and giving support after the baby's out. It's just not not just during pregnancy, like reducing stressors after during delivery. Frankly, after delivery, when the baby is out, then we're lessening the impact of stress on the mother, on the child then on their development, on the child's development, and in their very first formative years so that they can develop in a healthy way with the resources that they need. I guess that's my goal. I don't know how to do all of that, but that's my my fantasy goal is to to create an environment where perinatal women and, and new families are held in such high regard and held with such careful attention and intention and support that basically we're raising healthier and healthier generations. So we're, we're not there. Um, but I feel like we need to be, we need to, to get there. Some really cool things have actually happened recently. Thanks to the hard work of a lot of people, Jamie Zalloway Belsito did a lot of work to get this funding through, um, this federal funding through that has has just been signed, uh, appropriated, and we are getting, we, all of us, the Maternal Mental Health Grant of $5 million. And they've been working on this for years, and lots of different people have been working on this for years. So now there's this $5 million, which is not a lot of money federally, um, that is hopefully going to be put to good use, to be getting screening, to be getting any number of things set up for maternal mental health. That is a great continuation of all the effort that everyone has been putting forth. If you want to listen to a little bit more of that to understand what I'm talking about, 
Uh, go back to episode 46, Advocacy and Bringing Postpartum Depression Out of the Shadow, to hear Jamie's interview. At the same time that this is awesome and amazing, we still have so much to do. There's so much more work that needs to be done. The stuff that we can do on the ground together is how we talk to each other, how we talk to other moms, what somebody else is doing in their life and the choices that they make to do with their own child really has nothing to do with you. And I'm not saying that you, you guys, uh, but, but when there's judgment coming out of, you know, people have really, really passionate and strong ideas about how things should be. I, I have passionate ideas about how things should be. But when you're honing in on like one individual, if you find that what they're doing with their child is a threat to you, is it really? Can we allow other people to do what they need to do with their children? I mean, and I'm not talking about people who are actually harming their children. I think there's some ideas about how, again, I'll get this into this in a different episode, but what's on my mind right now is there's some ideas about breastfeeding specifically that if you don't breastfeed, you're harming your child. That That's quite a statement to make. And I, I, I see it and I hear about it um, online all the time. Are they? Are they really harming their child? And why is it so important that they do what you think they should do? Again, you know, this is one of those hot button issues. And I'm probably going to get a lot of emails and comments that I shouldn't be talking about this in particular. But I think we have to talk about it. There's this pressure out there, whether it's overt or covert, invisible or clear as day, that people are telling other moms what they need to do with their bodies and what they need to do with their children. I find it super invasive and too pretty inappropriate. Um, if you want to be supportive, if you want to really have a conversation with a mom and find out what their struggles are, what their context is, like all of the things that are in their life that they have to deal with and help them problem solve, help them figure out what's going to work for them. Cool. Do that all day if that's what they want. I've just seen far too many arguments online about this and many other things that I just felt the need to speak out about it. Can we just support each other? I mean, everybody's out there doing their best. This is a difficult process. We are all learning here. And I just, I guess part of me just has very little space for people who want to be adamant that everyone else do exactly what they think. And I'm not myself advocating for y'all to do exactly what I think. What I am advocating for is that we allow space for people to be who they are and offer support if that's what somebody wants. And if you feel like you have judgment, then reflect on it. I guess it's really just a softening of how we treat moms. It just seems like a good idea. And then my last soapboxy thing for now is in California here where I am, there are some bills that are trying to be passed through our legislation that are looked at in any way, uh, in any case, through our legislation here. There's some stuff that came out, opinion pieces and articles about these bills. Basically, the bills are there to support screening um, and to have screening be in OB clinics and stuff like that. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. 
Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I'll be the first to tell you that when I read an article online and people's quotes are in there, I know very full well that those quotes might be out of context. I have had an experience myself where something that I said in an interview was taken out of context and put into the context of the the interview itself. Uh, And then I was sort of publicly shamed for this quote. So I'm just saying that to say that in these articles that came out about some OB's response to what their job would be and how they would or would not be reimbursed for screening, um, the quote was taken to to say basically something like they wouldn't get reimbursed that much for screening a mom, so it's not really worth their time. So there's my context for what I'd like to say. I, I don't know if that was the intention of their quote or not. However, I have heard this narrative over and over that practitioners who support moms don't want to screen for postpartum depression because then they don't know what to do with them if they screen positive or if they need help and resources. I'm just going to call BS on that. What I would love to hear instead is that we don't know what to do, but we're looking into it. Or we'll have our office staff find couple of resources to be able to give to moms who are having a hard time. Or yes, we will screen because it's important to their health and the health of their infant, the health of their baby. There's still this disconnect between physical health and mental health, which is, you know, a whole other full podcast, like not just one episode. But I think if we're, if we're really going to be helping moms and families, then we have to stop dividing mental health and physical health and have them both be assessed in the same place as much as possible. So in OB clinics, in pediatrician offices, with doulas, with midwives, with lactation folks, well, basically whoever's working with a perinatal mom or family can ask these questions. If you're, like I've heard in other circles, if you're worried that you're going to ask a mom how she's doing and she's going to start crying and you're never going to be able to get out of the office or whatever, um, find ways 
to manage that. I think it's a cop out to say that we can't screen, that you know we don't get paid enough for, for X, Y, or Z. We don't know what to do if um, you, you figure it out when other stuff comes up, hopefully. If there's a condition that you're not aware of, and I'm, talk- I'm not just talking to OBs, I'm talking to everybody. Try and help figure it out. We don't have unlimited time to, to be helping everyone for hours on end. But I would much rather hear from the clients that come in to meet with me that their doctor said, oh, I don't know really a whole lot about that. I'll look into it or have my office staff look into it rather than I don't know. I've never heard of that before and I don't know how to help you. And then nothing. We just have to put the care back into healthcare. It seems to me that the the answers are out there, that we can all be doing a better job. We can't all do everything, but I think there are parts of this that we can all pick up a little bit better. If you don't know what to do with a mom who's having a hard time, find somebody who does. Look online. Go to Postpartum Support International's website, postpartum.net. Go to, just type in help for postpartum depression online, and I'm sure something will come up some direction. Anyhow, I I think we can do better. And that's my whole point. So thanks for coming on this ride with me today. If you have any thoughts or ideas on what you think we should be doing a better job of and how we can do a better job, or if you think everything I'm saying is a total BS, feel free to say that too. But I'd love your feedback. I'd love to hear what you guys think. And, you know, my perspective from where I am, I'm In Southern California, in a kind of middle-class town, I might be out of touch with some other things that are happening in other areas of the world, and I'd love to hear your perspective on things. What gets in the way of moms getting the help that they need um, as a provider, if you're a provider, um, if you're a mom or a family member, what gets in the way for you for getting the help that you need um, I think the more dialogue that an open dialogue that we can have about what works and what doesn't, the closer we'll come to some sort of prevention efforts to be getting the help to people who need it. So feel free to drop a line to me uh, by email, momandmind at gmail.com. You can join me on the Facebook page, Mom and Mind Podcast. You can join us on our Mom and Mind Connection Facebook group. I'm on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you wherever you are. Thank you so much for listening and until next time. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.